This is a HeadGum Podcast. In 86, Anna Martin wrote the first book of what became a cult. Now it's time for Babysitter's Club. Hey, Tanner, your hair looks great. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I'm not sh- quite sure why it's doing this today, but it's doing a thing. I've known you for close to 10 years now. I've never seen your hair do the thing that it's doing right now. It's doing a pretty fun thing. You look like a Rugrats. Yeah, I look like a Rugrats. <laughs> I look like Chucky Finster. <laughs> it's very, You know what you look like is uh, the Neutrinos from Ninja Turtles. I don't remember what they look like. They're like cool teens with cool hair. It's a compliment. Oh, okay. Cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you look great. That's what I'm trying to tell you, man. Just take learn to take a compliment, dude. Um, hey, let's, we got a book, man. Let's talk about a book. Let's, let's talk, talk about, about books. Oh, we got so much to dive into. What fun we had. And you know what this is? It's a early record. Yeah. It's um, 1.20 in the afternoon on a Sunday here, Baby Nation. Hi, hi. And hi, welcome. Hi. The, I'm not saying it to you, buddy. Oh. Hi, hi. Oh, just let me go, get through it. Yeah. Hi, hi. No, just try not to say anything. You don't want me to say anything at all. I want you to say something just at the appropriate time. Hi, hi, and welcome to the Babysitter's Club. 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 A podcast in which I, Jack Shepard. And I'm Tanner Greenring. <laughs> oh, don't you dare. I don't like that this is a trend now. It's what I say. Just say I, Tanner Greenring, so I can edit it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I, Tanner Greenring. <laughs> Perfect. Talk about the classic novels of The Princess of the Prince of Towns, Princess Annabelle Matthews Martin, Stormborn, Soul Skinner, Sanctified, Stormwalker, and Bane to Bats. Uh, we talk about her great sitter's cycle, um, of which we are now on book number 79. This week we read that book. It was entitled Marianne. Breaks the Rules. And, Tanner, this week's book, Marianne Breaks the Rules, rules. was good, good, clean, baby, sitting, fun. (laughs) That's fun to do. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Here's some early problems I have with the text. Oh, okay. There is no rule. Marianne didn't break a rule. Christy had to invent a rule so that Marianne could be breaking a rule. Interesting. Interesting. So it's a lie. It's it's fake news. The entire premise is based on a lie. I'm glad that in this novel, which is about rules, we're coming right out of the gate with our top legal minds. Yeah. Because I hadn't thought of that, but that is a very good point. Christy even says... Because Marianne, Marianne feels awful that she broke the rules, and Christy, and she was like, but, you know, I know I wasn't supposed to do it, but it's not really a rule. And Christy's like, well, it, I'm making it a rule. I think it's not unreasonable that there is an implied rule in babysitting bylaws that you don't invite your boyfriend over to canoodle with you. Counterpoint, it's a regular occurrence in these books and an encouraged and celebrated occurrence when you bring over fellow babysitters to help you work through a difficult charge or help a charge with emotional issues. That is a fucking very good counterpoint. We tease this. I just want to read this passage real quick. We tease this, but 
Marianne invites Logan over right. to several babysitting jobs, not to canoodle, but to emotionally support Jake Kuhn. Right. Accurate. Uh, Mrs. Kuhn walks in on them, finds them having wholesome, good, clean babysitting fun, mm-hmm. freaks out. Freaks out. Blacklists the uh, babysitter's club. Yeah. Is furious, calls Christy. Christy's furious. Christy yells at Marianne and then yells at, uh, calls Logan and yells at Logan. Yeah. Hi, it's Christy. Mrs. Coon just called and she's furious. No, Marianne didn't tell her. Uh huh. I know Jake enjoyed it. I like Jake too, but that's not the point. I'm talking about damage control. No, I'm not trying to sound like a police sergeant, Christy continued. This is serious, Logan. It could hurt the status of the club as we know it. Mrs. Coon's mad. She thinks you were sneaking over to be with Marianne. That's absolutely against the rules. Well, okay, we'll make a rule for it to be against. The point is you let us down. Well, so here's what I would say if I were defending Marianne in this case. And Logan. And Logan. With that transcript, what Christy is saying is that the point is that you let us down. Right. But that's not against the law. Well, that's the question, right? That, to me, is the question that this case hinges on. Did Marianne and Logan break the law by letting the Babysitter's Club down? If so, everyone in that Babysitter's Club has is, is broken the law at some point. What about two weeks ago when Christy broke the law by smoking cigarettes and burning a man with fire? <laughs> well, those were the laws of society. But it also let down the Babysitter's Club. It sure did. It sure right. did, which is ins- Are you fidget spinning, dude? No. Why? It looks like you're fidget spinning below screen. All right, whatever. I don't want to... Okay, I this is more interesting. I have my fingers. Okay, all right. Do you see? Good. It's like a big clip. He's put a big clip on it's his like fingers, baby. Clip. He's put a big clip on his fingers, baby. Nation. It's He's not breaking the rules by fidget spinning. And I which wasn't are, making any sounds. I was engaged with you. You were engaged with me. We do have a rule against fidget spinning while we're talking, and right. you technically didn't break them. We don't have any laws against chip clips, do we? <laughs> not yet. Um, well, this is fascinating. So I'm so excited about how uh, we've gotten out of the gate here with a legal discussion. That is the central question that Anne and Pete are asking us in this novel. Right. Um, did Marianne and Logan actually break the rules? No. Well, some might say yes, right? She let, They let down the Babysitter's Club. Uh, the, it's not inconceivable that there might be at least an unwritten rule that you shouldn't invite your boyfriend over. Think of all the times that Christy has taken the crushers to compete against or practice with Bart Bashir's bashers. Right. That's the same situation. Well, they're kind of on again, off again. It's kind of a pseudo-boyfriend situation. Marianne and Logan are on again, off again. Oh, come on. She even says at the beginning of this come book, on. like, we're in an unusually, like, good streak. I'm on your side broadly here, Tanner, but this, like, is fucking sophistry. The fact to me that you are comparing the love that exists between Marianne and Logan, and which, like, sets the world on fire, right? with the on-again, off-again pseudo-romance slash friendship that exists between Bart Bashir and Christy, I think it's just intensely legalistic. I mean, that's how how the law works, man. It's all about setting precedent. All right, so what's the consensus here from America's leading Babysitter's Club critic? Did Marianne break the rules? Absolutely not. Okay. If she did it again at this point, if she did it again, 
She yeah. would be breaking the rules because Christy now has manufactured a rule. Okay. Well, so we've answered the implied question of this novel. Logan and Marianne could have been canoodling. They weren't, but they could have been. Yeah, they could have. It would have been fine. Yeah. Because that's the law. Good. All right, so Baby we, Nation. Oh, you start. Jack and I just uh, took a very brief break so we could check our levels. We're having audio troubles today. And uh, Jack forgot to mute his mic as he got up to go grab a beer. And I had to listen to the sounds of him making love with his wife, <laughs> Sarah. <laughs> In a way. How'd that go for you? Good. It sounded like we have a new pastor at Hippie Church. Uh-huh. Um, Sarah's not thrilled about them, but you're eager to go back after football season's over. Well, what um, a beautiful domestic scene you've just painted. Yeah, it, there was a lot of talk about the cats. It was very loving. They were making a lot of love. Mm-hmm. Generating a lot of love. Only took about two minutes. Right. I think everybody was satisfied. And then Sarah popped onto the camera and said hi to me. That's so lovely. Um, well, listen, Tanner, we have... In a way that I'm genuinely delighted with, uh, litigated, and I think proved out the case in question uh, of this novel. Mm -hmm. Um, And now what I would like to do for you and for the Baby Nation is to describe this novel. Okay. And then quid pro quo, I'd like... You want me to do it too? Do do it too. Okay. Yeah. Coverage. Coverage. Yeah. We're just making, you know, a, a good lawyer comes in and sets up the case and kind of discusses every aspect of it so that it's airtight. Exactly. Exactly. So that the defense lawyer can't worm their way in. Yeah. Find any holes. A couple of uh, BSC barristers over here making sure that we have coverage. Coverage. Airtight. Yep. Yep. Where were you on Sunday afternoon, September 17th at 1.40 p.m.? I was listening to my friend Jack make love to his wife, Sarah, (laughs) in a manner of speaking. And I have the audio to prove it. (laughs) (laughs) That's beautiful. Um, Listen, how about I describe the book and then we um, kick it over to you. I'll bounce past it your way and you can describe the book. Fine. Great. I'm going to begin now. This is my opening argument, if you will. Ooh. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, Marianne understands the rules. You do what you're told, when you're told to, and if something's bothering you, you don't make too much of a fuss. Marianne follows the rules. She's tidy, responsible, respectful of authority, and she always has a smile on her face. And Marianne respects the rules. She knows that no matter what happens, no matter how hard it gets, no matter how much something deep inside herself is screaming to get out, to smash the bars of the tiny cell where she wastes away her days in emptiness and boredom, to breathe the air and see the world in color for once in her life. Because to do so would mean becoming the one thing she dreads more than anything else, an outlaw. Marianne understands the rules. But she's also beginning to understand something about herself. Something dangerous. 
Marianne breaks the rules. Asterix. Objection. <laughs> no, she doesn't. Upheld. <laughs> this case is dismissed. I'll thank you for not wasting the court's time anymore. Although, with a caveat, if she did it again now, it would be breaking the rules, yes. It would be breaking the rules if she did it a second time. Right. I think Marianne's even brought Logan over before. Yeah, I think so. To canoodle. Yeah, probably for canoodling. Here's a case that I, if the defense had any fucking wits about them, they would have brought up. Remember the Babysitter's Agency from uh, Truth About Stacy, book three? Yeah. Um, those fuckers brought their boyfriends over and canoodled and smoked cigarettes and stuff. But they were bad girls, Jack. They were bad girls. And why were they bad girls? Not because they were intrinsically bad, but because they broke the rules of our society. So are you saying... Is it a, is it a society is it a societal law preventing Marianne from inviting Logan over to help a young boy achieve his dreams? No, th- no. This is, is it immoral to take a young man struggling without a father, without a male role model in his life, and to lift him up and make him the best he can be? I guess you should call whoever founded the Boys and Girls Club of America, Jack, and send them all <laughs> to jail, huh? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I ask you, is it against the rules to help a young boy in need? Is it against the rule to support a struggling single mother <laughs> raising three children? Is it against the rules to provide an example? Is it against the rules to be a role model? Yeah. In this attenuated time. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, if that's against the rules, slap the handcuffs on me right now. <laughs> and send me to jail. Because this is not the America. This is not the country that I believe in. Send me your weak, your poor, <laughs> your tired masses yearning to be free. Your eight-year-old boys. Your struggling soccer stars. <laughs> your preteens. Your babies. Uh, you know what I admired about this book? What? That the co writer i don't know if we've mentioned who it was yet i think it's obvious from how much we're enjoying this book right uh, who that was he tapped into a fairly untapped well this week with the coons we almost never get books about the coons dude i did some research into this yeah uh here's the research i did and this is like baby nation it's pete it's pete it's sweet who, pete sweet pete sweet pete loran just co-wrote this book with Anne this week and knocked it out of the park like he always fucking does right um this is a testament to Pete's greatness. I looked, I was like, the Coons, that kind of rings a bell. Coons. It's K-U-H-N-S. Coons. I looked him up back in my notes, my notes on my previous BSC books. Uh-huh. I was like, I've definitely heard the names. So the first mention of Jake Coon, Coon. who is... Coons. Okay, well, let's not get hung up on the pronunciation. <laughs> the first mention of Jake Coon, who is... Um, the hero of this particular novel. He is the man for whom Marianne breaks or does not break the titular rules. I would say, boy, he's eight, but... Okay, let's not get hung up on the details. The first mention of Jake Kuhn is in Chrissy and the Walking Disaster, book number 20, and it is on her baseball depth chart. It says things like, Nicky Pike, like, good batter, afraid of the ball. Right. Although there that's are three... Jimmy Newton, but yeah. Sure. Again, let's not get hung okay, up on Okay, I just details. like, some of us are scholars, and we're, it's, it's distracting to us, to me, and to Baby Nation, who really pays attention to the details, when you 
mess something up so obvious. Look, I appreciate your respect for the law here and your respect for the details, but I feel like there are times when litigiousness is not called for. There are times when the narrative is I'm trying is to more create important. an airtight case here. We don't <laughs> we don't d- d- deal in generalities in the They'll court get up of on law. Your, up on your fucking high horse cuz you won one goddamn case. I I I've won 100% of the cases I've ever gone out for. <laughs> Wayne Gretzky. All right, well let me get through this. On this depth chart, at the bottom of it, are the names of the Kuhn family. Patsy Kuhn, yep. uh, Laurel Kuhn, and Jacob Kuhn. And next to their names is the note, haven't even met them. Right. That's it. No, that's that's what you've captured. The Kuhns are like, Jake Jake in particular, he's like a friend of the Pikes. And they're like, he. you sometimes see him in the background. He's like occasionally mentioned. Yeah. But they've never been the focus of... Never. A sitting job. He's a deeply peripheral character. Right. In 80 books, the only notes that I have thought to capture are just about, like, how good he is as a batsman. Right. But also, like, we've got a little bit more background on him now. He's not an excellent natural athlete. He's not a great athlete. But I just think this is a testament to the depth um, of Pete's character Bible. Right. That when he's called up to write a Babysitter's Club book... Uh, he's not going to just go to like some of the lazier ghostwriters. Right. He's not just going to go to the well of the Barretts or the Pikes or you know so- something easy. He's going to write you a novel that is about the laws that hold our society together. He's going to write you a novel that deepens uh, the internal lives of the babysitters that we know and love. He's going to write you a novel that introduces an entirely new character. Right. Uh, and and th- but that has standing to use a legal term already in the Babysitters Club canon, right? Um, and paint that person's life and their experiences in Technicolor. It's I can't say enough about what a great job Pete did this. Here week. are some characters that I would love to see Pete kind of bring back into the fold. Jackie Radowski. It's been too long. I feel like there's all these classic characters that we grew up with, who yeah. when Anne was writing these books would really explore, like, Jamie Newton and Jackie Rodowski yeah. and Morbid of Destiny. I would love to see what Pete can do with a Morbid of Destiny. Yeah, I've got some notes on Morbid of Destiny. I'd like to get to that a little bit later. But uh, Jackie Rodowski is something that a lot of Baby Nation have been writing in. Like, are you guys just... why? What happened to Tracking Jackie? You, you tell us, Baby Nation. You tell us, Baby Nation. And it's up you to You tell Anne. us, Suzanne. You tell us, Pete. Yeah. You tell us, Jana. Let us know, Ellen Miles. Right. We can only mold with the clay that God has given us. Right. Gods. Gods. Sorry. That the gods have given us. Um, Hey, Tanner. Right. You want me to do it? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Cool, man. That was the least... I woke up this morning. Okay. I was going to say that was the least intro we ever needed to doing that. And... No, you're going to tell me a fucking tale. Got out of bed and went out to the couch and read the entirety of this book from cover to cover. So it is yeah, same. <laughs> it is hyper fresh in my mind. This should be the most succinct and natural recap, plot recap I've ever done. Have you ever heard of uh, the expectations game, Tanner? 
<laughs> yep, I'm playing it hard right now. <laughs> You're playing it bad. All right, I'm going to put 60 seconds on this big bad clock. During those 60 seconds, I would like for you to describe in detail everything that happens in this novel. I would like for you, sir, to begin right now. Okay, Baby Nation, it's uh, Halloween in Stony Brook, Connecticut. Don't worry, there's no mention of the Holly- Halloween hop, uh, so we can just breeze past that right now. Uh, the Babysitter's Club is regularly sitting for the Coon family now. Marianne tends to go over there. She's noticed that... Uh, the um, Jake Coon is having trouble coping with the, the divorce and needs a strong male role model in his life. She starts inviting Logan over to train him in soccer. Um, and it blows up in their face when Mrs. Coon catches Logan at the their place and thinks that they're canoodling. Uh, eventually, it's all resolved when uh, Jake explains that he was being coached by Logan. B-plot, it's uh, Halloween... Uh, scare war where the kids of Stony Brook are trying to make competing um, haunted houses. The Barretts are making a spooky uh, and funny one and the other kids are making a gross scary one. And time. Tanner. Daniel Greenring. I did it. That was a tour de force. Thank you. Here's the trick. Read the entire book two hours before you record. Be sober as a ghost. (laughs) Oh, that's the missing piece. It's noon here, baby nation. Yeah. (laughs) Most of us are uh, real sober. (laughs) Um, That was great, Tanner. That was very, very good. Thank you. Uh, You never compliment me on my descriptions, but that's okay, you know? I don't care for your descriptions. Yeah, I can tell. Um, Let's talk about... uh, Sex, baby. No, let's not do that. Let's talk about this brilliant inversion. Look, you're wearing a brewery hat. I'm wearing a brewery shirt. That's not... No. That's cool. It's not cool. That's like a... It's it's connection through space and time. Boy, it's not even interesting visually, and this is an audio medium. Let's talk about... Finback Brewery is what uh, you're wearing, and I'm wearing an Excelsior Brewing Company. Is that Minnesota? Based in Excelsior, Minnesota. Great. Nailed it. My former stomping grounds. Excelsior is also uh, the starship that Captain Sulu eventually commands when he finally gets his That's cool that you know that. The starship Excelsior. It's cool that you know that, man. Commander Sulu, don't compliment me because you feel like you've successfully got me off track. <laughs> Let's talk about this brilliant inversion of the themes of Paradise Lost that Pete and Anne have accomplished in this novel. Sure. <laughs> it's fucking incredible. Paradise right? Lost is Milton, and yeah. it's about the devil. Yep. And Milton used to sing... He used to say, "Milk me." <laughs> um, I'll tell you something that's a that's a, a fun thing uh, to tell you. Mm-hmm. That is going to sound real fucking weird to people who don't have context <laughs> for that particular story, which we have told on this podcast. So, Baby Nation, you have no excuse for not knowing what Tanner's referring right. to. But I'm not going to dig you out of that hole. I prefer you didn't. <laughs> um. Yeah, you know what Paradise Lost is. Everybody knows what Paradise Lost is, sure. right? It's an epic retelling of the story of Genesis. Yep. Um, but what's so this book, Tanner? What is it called? Marianne breaks the rules. Could you or could you not call Genesis Eve breaks the rules? You could. Yeah, and you'd be pretty right, wouldn't you, sir? Yep. <laughs> 
Um, so it's obvious that Pete and Anne are kind of setting this up, right? Sure. But what I like about it, and this is something that like anybody who studied Milton knows that Blake famously uh, criticized Paradise Lost by saying that the reason Milton wrote in fetters when he wrote of angels and God uh, and at liberty when he wrote of the devils in hell um, was because he was a true poet and of the devil's party. It's the, fam- it's the famous sort of Blake retort to Paradise Lost. Uh-huh. Um, and I feel like this is what this novel is doing uh, for the modern era, for the babysitting era, right? Are we poets of the devil's party? I think so. Yeah, and Pete is too. And Anne, well, Anne isn't. I think Anne isn't. Okay, that's that's kind of what I'm setting up here, right? This is like the thing about Paradise Lost is that it's about this like cold, calculating God, right? Who, who, like, or it's it doesn't that doesn't appear to be Milton's intent, but it's it's how it comes across. And then the devil is interesting, and Eve is interesting, and Adam and God are kind of like fucking squares, right? Super squares. Um, so breaking the rules in Paradise Lost in this sort of contradiction of the implied intent of the poem is is cool and right. good and Things interesting. Things only started getting rad yeah. after we started breaking the rules. Right, and that's true here, right? Marianne ostensibly breaks the rules by inviting into the paradise that is the Coons family circle. Inviting the snake in the grass. Oh, yeah, sure. Inviting the devil, right? right? It's, she wasn't inviting her boyfriend. She wasn't inviting a boy. No. She was inviting the Dark Lord. Right, the Dark Lord himself. Oh, of course. And you would think you know, from the title— You know, it's been so long. Logan has been so, like, he, you know, he, this is how he gets you. He's been so good and so clean for so long that I kind of yeah. lost track. I kind of forgot. I was just seeing Logan— yeah, same. Well, that's what he does, right? Right. That's, that's literally what he does. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled. He comes in with the blue suit and the shiny smile. Yeah. And he charms the pants off of you. Yep. Next thing you know, you're breaking all the rules. You're breaking all the fucking rules. And that's what happens here with Marianne. I think, is there a scene in this book where Marianne is feeding the Kuhn's kids snacks and she eats an apple? Because I feel like that would have... Maybe that's a little on the nose for Anne and Pete. God, I'm sure it happens. But I think this really would have driven that home. Yeah, but it's there. It's there, right? And it's also like Jake Kuhn is like, what's he, what? Why is he so upset? Why is he having so much trouble? Because he's missing his father, right? Right. He's outside of the light of his father. Yeah. Um, and then the conclusion of this novel, Marianne, when things all kind of wrap up and everything ends up being okay, the last one of the last lines of the book is Marianne saying, "For the first time in a while, I began not feeling like an intruder at someone else's party." Garden of Eden. Right. She's welcome again, right? She's right. created her own new world that's outside of the fucking strictures of this garden. Right. And that's what happens when you break the rules. You have it. You're like, sure, you don't get to play inside the fucking garden anymore, but you've got this whole new world where you're wild and free. Christy is Moses. Oh, okay. Because when Logan argues that this is not a rule, Christy comes down from the top of the mount. <laughs> with two yeah. stone tablets and says we're making it a rule now yeah um well i guess this might be a good time to take a little break okay i'm gonna go grab a beer all right um i want to talk tanner a little bit about something that is in the b plot and 
is thrown away and I almost would have missed it. Except when I went back by chance and glanced over it again, I saw it in a new and interesting light. And it is the parable that is told by Laurel Kuhn towards the end of this tale. The parable of the girl and the horrible witch. Did you catch this? No. The book ends, Baby Nation. The A-plot ends with three or four chapters to go. Um, Oh, yeah. That really fucked with me. Like, everything is wrapped up, and I'm like, Pete, you're better than this. You know better than to prematurely end a story like this. What are you going to do for the next three chapters? But he kept it pretty interesting, and my thought there was just that Anne was giving Pete, like, a reward. Just letting Pete dance across the page a little bit. She was like, you know what? Dance across the page. And he, he did what he did with it was amazing. It was like only Pete could do this shit. Right. Um, they have this like hilarious haunted house. It's vintage Pete. Um, and it really felt like he was being given an opportunity to really kind of s- spread his wings a little bit in the last 40 pages after the um, main plot had already been resolved. But during all of this, he has this brief little vignette where Laurel Kuhn – Uh, Jake's sister is telling a story of a witch. I'm going to tell you the story briefly right now. But as the witch tried to fly away, oh no, she said, it's not flying. I assume she's referring to her broom. And the little girl who she scared, the one with red hair, well, this time she snuck up on the witch slowly, slowly, and boo. And so the little girl grabbed the broom and said, the magic spell is gone. And the witch slowly shriveled away. But as she did, the girl felt something strange in her mouth. Her teeth seemed to be growing, and her hair felt kind of dry. So she took the broom and turned to go inside. But as she opened her mouth to call her mom, she said, (coughs) And then she flew away. And that's it. Marianne says, yay. She cheers, and then they move on. It's just this little moment about becoming the monsters that we fear. Right. Like, that little girl is never going to see her family again. She's never going to see her family again. But it's also, like, for, like, a kid, like a three-year-old to be making up a story. I don't think it's made up. You think that's a known tale? I think, when's the last time we saw Morbid of Destiny? Tanner, this is exactly where I was going with that. It's been ages since we saw Morbid of Destiny, and it's like, okay, now we have this mythology. We know that witches, when confronted by young girls, are capable of inhabiting the bodies of those young girls. Right. I kind of think that this is how witches perpetuate. That makes a fucking ton of sense to me. And that explains where Morbid is. Like, no one's going to do intercourse with morbida and produce new baby witches right i also think she's likely gone through menopause okay so it's not like she can have kids so she needs to sustain her life force another way and i think this is this establishes that the way they do that is by inhabiting the bodies of young people yeah what i'm worried about is who is the young girl in stony brook who or boy i guess who is now morbida destiny yeah i think that's the question i mean the obvious candidate is karen brewer but we haven't well, we haven't seen much of Karen lately. We haven't but... seen a lot of her, but when we do see her, it's not like her personality has changed drastically. Oh, you know who's somebody who lives next door to Karen Brewer, who like has confronted Morbida in the past? 
who we haven't heard much from lately. Is it the Delaney's? Yeah, Amanda Delaney. Right. Because they disappear. Just without a fucking trace. We have no idea what happened to the Delaney's and disappeared them. I was going to guess Sabrina Bouvier. Yeah. Because she, she goes through a pretty like weird transformation. Yeah, but we see her for what she is. Like she, so Sabrina Bouvier, uh, Baby Nation, appears in uh, Little Miss Stony Brook and Dawn, um, an early novel, uh, as a five-year-old and later turns up as uh, a contemporary of Dawn and Marianne like 10 books later. Right. Um, as a 13-year-old. So there's something mysterious going on with her. But, like, we know what that is, right? It's not necessarily a witch. It's a teen. Yeah. But, like, this girl in the parable is has aged unnaturally. Her teeth grow right. bigger. Her hair grows more brittle. Right. So that might be a symptom of this. So it fits the case of the missing Delaney. That's all I'm saying. Right. No, I agree. We haven't seen Morbid of Destiny anymore. But we also haven't seen Amanda Delaney, who lives fucking next door, or used to live next door to right. Karen Brewer. Right, right, right. I also, like, one of the last times we saw Karen was she was confronting a coven of witches. Right. Her and uh, Amanda Delaney and Hanny Papadakis invaded right. a, like, witch meeting. Yeah, that was in uh, Little Sister. Right. So we know that there's a brood in Stony Brook. Yeah. So it might be the case that Amanda Delaney was taken by a witch. It might be the case that Sabrina Bouvier was taken by a witch. Yeah. The witches may be a more powerful faction than we ever thought. Yeah, and in some ways the absence of morbid of destiny should not lull us into a sense of security here. Her absence is more terrifying than it seems. Maybe the, um, the dark specter of time has claimed us all. Yeah. Maybe the reason we don't hear about these fun babysitting charges anymore or morbid of destiny anymore is because we like the girls have grown up and we're no longer charmed by the mysteries and beauty of the world and now all we care about is is boys and canoodling and following yeah. the roles and that is the witch that lives inside us right right morbid of destiny is in all of us right Exactly. She split her soul into seven billion horcruxes and put a piece of her inside each one of us. And now all of us, we can no longer live in the splendor of the Garden of Eden. Yeah. We now know what it means to sin and what it means to age and what it means to die. This is it, Tanner. You've cracked the case. And this is the central tension of the Sitter Cycle, right? Is this tension between innocence and experience. The fact that inside innocence is the kernel of experience but once you accept experience into your life once you agree to grow up once you get interested in boys and canoodling and all those other things you lose the child that you were forever and this is a tension between Anne and the rest of us Anne wants to keep it stuck in time well it's especially the tension between Anne and Pete, I think. Yeah, I think so too. I'm really starting to understand the dynamic between these two. Anne is God and Pete is the other. Yeah. Anne is trying to protect these girls and Pete's like, nope, Marianne's going to break the rules this week. And that's fucking brilliant. That's brilliant of Pete to write this book. This book is a message to Anne. Pete penned a message to Anne today. He was like, Marianne breaks the rules. It's this inversion of Paradise Laws. It says this. the central thesis of this novel is... Hey, what if the stories we've been told, the Genesis story, 
What of these stories about innocence and experience, the story that Anne has been hawking for 80 novels, what if this story is wrong and the real heroes of the story are the people you thought were the villains? Right. And like growing up and, and getting older and having experience and like having freedom and breaking the fucking rules for once is the heroic thing to do. Wow. <laughs> That's good. Um, Tanner, I would like, moving on from this fascinating theological discussion, I would like to sing a song with you. Would you, sir, like to sing a song with me? Yeah. Okay. Do you know what song you're going to sing? No, it's uh, Dealer's Choice, because you got the spreadsheet. It looked like you were just about to start singing something, though. Yeah, well, I often look like that. I'm perpetually in a state of being about to do something. Have we sung a moment like this yet? I feel like we have. I don't know why, but I feel like this is your job. Uh, Baby Nation, uh, to part the kimono, which is a technical term that we use sometimes on this podcast, uh, because Tanner and I both wear kimonos and we have nothing under them. Just when we're recording. Yeah, just while we're recording. In in normal life, we both have jobs and uh, friends. Yeah, and it feels appropriative. Uh, Yeah. But to part the kimono, what we're talking about here is uh, a segment for which many members of Baby Nation have sent us songs this segment is different from some of our other segments in that it's different music every time for our the red just moment i know we don't but i'm stalling for time because it's tanner's job to keep the fucking spreadsheet and he's doing a bad job i was ready i was letting you i've been ready i was letting you do your little ramp up Sing me a goddamn Some song, Tanner. That's what I'm saying. wait a lifetime for a moment like this. Some people search a whole book for that one good passage. Oh, I can't believe it's happening to me. Some people wait a lifetime for a Larangeous moment <laughs> like this. And then make a choir. Whoever's editing this episode, make a whole choir come in with me here. <laughs> Some people wait a lifetime for the ranger's moment like this. Do you want an alto? Uh, no, we're good. We got good coverage. And we'll, we'll hire a full choir to do it, too. Good. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, what we should do with our, our sweet, sweet um, ad money is hire a full is, choir. Uh, we should hire a whole choir. So, Baby Nation, what you just heard, I don't know what it's going to be like because obviously we do that in post, but what you just heard is going to be the money that we get from the advertisers and for our sponsors. That's where that went. Ladies and gentlemen, the New York Philharmonic. <laughs> Let, take, it, take it again one more time, New York Philharmonic. <laughs> give us one more. Give us one more of those. Some people wait a lifetime. Oh, beautiful. Um, That was suggested most notably, and I think maybe possibly first, by at Hello Sarah, um, Baby B Sarah on Twitter. But it was suggested by several of you. But thank you, Baby B Sarah, and thank you to everybody else uh, who has sent in Larangus Moe. Oh, and apologies if we've done it before. We are not good at what we do. Should I do another one just in case we've done it before? Because I told them we would never repeat it. 
la 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 that's really good. Who is that? We're going to do a post. That's from Baby B. Jess. It's from at little P-A-T-I-N-A-M-N. How would you pronounce that? Little Pat in... Uh, Bettina, Minnesota? Moon. Tough to say. Anyway, thank you, Baby Tough B. To Jess. Say. Thank you, Baby B. Jess. <laughs> um, hey, you know what we haven't done is explain what the fuck this segment is. I'd like for you to no, do No, you that. did. Remember when you were vamping for me? Did I? Yep. <laughs> no, I didn't explain what I didn't explain why we do it. Tanner and I have become experts on the specific styles of all of the individuals within the League of Extraordinary Ghost Writers that Anne has employed to write these later babysitters novels. Um but there was one babysitter's ghostwriter who is greater than them all. Um and I don't think that's any shame to Suzanne Wayne or John Ann Malcolm or Ellen Miles. Um, or Nola Thacker or any of the, of the other great, great Babysitter's Club ghostwriters who entertain us with their words uh, week in and week out to say that Pete is the best. Um, and part of why that is the case is that Anne only gives away who the ghostwriter is right at the end of the novel. But with Pete, you don't need to wait to the end because it rips through the pages. Right, um, and the Laurentius moment is the moment when either of us discovered uh, that this book can only have been written by the great. The moment sweet we Pete knew Laurentius. Um a moment like this, um, Tanner. What was your Laurentius moment this week? I had so many. Yeah, same. Um, there's a joke right at the top of the book that I just didn't get, and like, mm-hmm. it, I almost felt it like it was my fault that I didn't get it. No, it's Pete, so it was. Right. Can I... I'll read that. I don't love it, but, like, I just want to maybe, like, get to the bottom of this. Yeah. We all exchanged good mornings. As I gave Dad a kiss on the cheek, I noticed his great-smelling omelet looked as if it had been made of Elmer's glue. It's white, I remarked. Dad nodded solemnly. The chickens who laid these eggs were raised in total darkness. Huh? When Sharon burst out laughing, I knew Dad was teasing. I am so gullible. It's an egg white omelet, Sharon explained. Your father's on a health kick. He's reducing his cholesterol. Want some, Dad asked. Cholesterol, I replied. No thanks. Touche, Dad said with a smile. So this is brilliant. Okay, I can. I got this, and I can explain it. I don't get why Richard says touche. This is Pete. It's not like a witty back and forth. This is Pete using humor to raise awareness about the plight of chickens in oh. battery cages. Oh, I thought you were going to say high cholesterol. <laughs> Leave it to the militant vegan to talk about <laughs> free-range chickens. And this is what's so fucking wonderful about Pete, right? Like, he takes a light moment, and he t- he's, he's like, I have a huge platform here. I'm, I'm ghostwriting one of the most important intellectual properties in America right now. And right. I'm going to use this platform to raise awareness about the plight of chickens in battery cages, raised in total right. darkness. Yeah. And it's so fucking great. And, like, he throws in, like— vegan? Yeah. Did you see the, the Dawn stuff? No, I don't think I caught it. Dawn is full animal rights. Well, Dawn has always been full animal rights. No, she hasn't. 
She's been. She like turned down a hot dog in this episode. No, she didn't turn down a book. fucking hot dog. Dawn is a real individualist who doesn't mind making waves, says Marianne. She's a health food addict. She believes in animal rights and environmental causes. This is the first time she's been mentioned as being AR, as we say in the industry. Don't worry yep. about it. Yep. Later on, a boy, as Dawn is explaining to Marianne over the phone, a boy who is a cute boy came to a barbecue cookout that Dawn was having where she had brought some tempeh, but her tempeh fell onto the coals, and the cute guy insisted that Dawn have one of his hot dogs. Here's what Dawn says. Yuck, pig carcasses and carcinogens. The words just like flew out of my mouth. I thought I would die. I thought I would die. Because Dawn is ready to die for the fucking cause, and so is Pete. And this is just such a great moment. Um, for animal rights advocates everywhere. For animal rights advocates everywhere, and I thought it was wonderful that Pete took some time to include that. Here's why he says touche, Tanner. I don't quite get touche, I guess. Because Sharon... It's not like, it's not like um, I'm, I'm Marianne you. stings him with a saber here. Sharon says, your father's on a health kick. He's reducing his cholesterol. Want some? Dad asked. Cholesterol? I replied. No thanks. No thanks. Touche. I don't get it. <laughs> Marion thinks that Dad is offering her cholesterol. Right. Whereas, in fact, what he's offering her is omelets raised from chickens in battery cages. Okay. Or and she says, no thanks. Right. Okay. Okay. I don't think I'm ever going to get it. I don't get why he says touche. It doesn't feel like a witty uh, back and forth. It doesn't well, feel like they're exchanging intellectual blows. It just kind of feels like uh, riffing on some jokes. You haven't been a vegetarian or vegan as long as I have. You know? It's true. Once you've been in the cause for a while, it, th- that kind of shit gets real funny. But I, I thought it was good writing, and it was the moment <laughs> I realized that this was definitely a Pete Larangis book. Let me tell you my Larangis moment, Tanner. Very soon after that, uh, they're getting ready for Halloween, um, and Jamie Newton is trying to figure out his costume. So I had to convince Jamie it was okay to go trick-or-treating, Stacy was telling everyone. He hated last Halloween. He went as Peter Pan, but almost every single neighbor opened the door and said, Oh, look, Robin Hood. It broke his heart. We all groaned in sympathy. Anyway, I convinced him, Stacy continued. But now I'm not sure it was a good idea. He wants to go as a shopping bag this year. (laughs) What? Claudia and Christy exclaimed together. This way he thinks people can just put candy straight into his mouth, Stacy explained. Makes sense to me, Claudia said. And then in case there was any doubt that Pete Larangis had penned this novel, later on, Jake calls Buddy Barrett Cruddy Carrot. Yeah, that's my... And he calls... (gasps) (laughs) <laughs> Bird of the week. The thing you're about oh. to say, the Jake Coon calling Buddy Barrett cruddy cr- carrot was fine. Is my burn of the week? That's like a pretty good burn. That's a kind of a good burn. Buddy Barrett's response yeah. is less good. Okay, you disagree. I agree that it is less good, but there is a third option in this segment. But you can you can tell the Baby Nation what Buddy calls Jake Coon. Well, so uh, I called I'm, him Cruddy Carrot instead of Buddy Barrett, and he yeah. called me. He lowered his eyes. Fake prune. <laughs> <laughs> like point well, goes to Jake Coon there. 
point goes to Jake there, right? Cruddy carrot. I would rather eat a fake prune than a cruddy carrot. No question there, right? But the reason that they're having this argument in the first place is that Jake, who has recently uh, lost his father to divorce, um, is upset that Buddy is about to gain a new father uh, in the form of Franklin DeWitt. Right. A handsome architect. Right. Um, and the reason they're having the argument is that Buddy has invited Jake to the wedding. Here's what Buddy says. No way. He thinks he's so great and he's not. Who cares about ugly old Frankenstein and his ugly kids anyway? <laughs> so you think Frankenstein is better than Cruddy Carrot? Frankenstein is fucking brilliant. I think Cruddy Carrot is much stronger. <laughs> well, Cruddy Carrot is what we call in the industry a full suckification. Full suckification. That's a technical term for when you make the entirety of a person's name an insult that you can wield against them. If I was going to suckify Buddy Barrett's name, I would go mm-hmm. with Cruddy Bear Idiot. I don't know, man. I think Jake is doing the best that he can with the name that he has. Cruddy Bear Shit. feel like that's redundant. So you're suck- the suckification of Jack's name is... It's Whack Shit Nerd. Yeah, Whack Shit Nerd. <laughs> There's no need to laugh at it, and I'm not... <laughs> that's good, though, Whack Shit Nerd. Here's the yeah. thing. I have a hard name. Tanner Greenring yeah. is tough to suckify. Yeah. Um, man, I've seen things. <laughs> it's pretty weak. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's impossible. I'm unsuckifiable. No, it's it can be done. I just need to think about it. Man, a peen thing. <laughs> Bad nerd peen ring? <laughs> peen ring is where that's how we got it with peen ring <laughs> we got it with peen ring uh uh man turd peen ring <laughs> it's good <laughs> oh baby nation i'm so so glad that you could uh come on this particular man journey turd <laughs> man turd peen ring we got that. Uh, that's what you are. That's who you are. That's what you do. Uh, thank you, Pete, for inspiring this moment. Yeah, thanks, Pete. Um, I've got one other burn of the week I want to read real quick before we move on to, to bigger and better things and maybe uh, let the baby nation go. Yeah. Um, it's just Alan Gray appears in this novel. Pete packs it in, man. He's got his character Bible. Uh, he loves to bring in all of characters from all walks of life within Stony Brook. Uh, this week, Alan Gray has a couple of star turns. Yeah, Alan Gray comes back, and he's doing, he's, like, becoming this presence. Like, previously, he was just sort of this goofball prankster on the sidelines of these books. Yeah. But in the Great Scare War of 1994, yeah, it's Marianne and Logan and the Coons versus the Barretts and the Braddocks. Yep. And they're being led at the helm by the great Alan Gray. 
we haven't really gotten into this, but the B plot is that um, there are two factions of babies who want to make haunted houses. And this is like the gift chapter that Anne gave to Pete to just kind of like spread his wings and, and do his magic. But uh, one of the factions wants to make a funny haunted house, and Logan helps them with that. And it is felt that that is unfair for the other faction who wants to make a genuinely scary haunted house uh, because it's just kids. But right at the end... Uh, Logan goes to check out the competition's house, reaches his hand into a bowl that says, like, don't reach your hand into this bowl. And a fucking spectral hand grabs his own hand, just like the last moment in uh, the movie Carrie. Sure. It it erupts from the ground. And pulls Logan down, and he lets out a horrified scream. And it turns out that the hand pulling him down belongs to none other than the great Alan Gray, who was behind it all along. Right, and who helped build the, in Logan's words, superior haunted house in the Scare Wars. Yeah, fucking nailed it. Uh, But my burn of the week uh, is a burn on Alan Gray by Christie, and it is as follows. This is Marianne talking. Are you guys still mad at me? I asked. Christie bit into a tuna sandwich. Stacy took a swig from a small bottle of mineral water. Claudia hiccuped and excused herself. No, Christy said in a way that meant yes. Not mad, Stacy said. I'm just a little concerned about, you know, ramifications. I looked at Claudia. She shrugged. I'm not so good with my ramification tables. We laughed politely. We ate. Alan Gray walked by with some friends and said to Christy, Any fingernails in your salad today? Any brains in your head? Nice. Was Christie's answer? Got him. <laughs> Fucking got him. I wish there was more of this Christie and Alan back and forth. Dude, I love hey, it. Bart, get out of here, man. Bart, not Bart. interested in, in your and Christie's relationship. There's nothing there, man. I like, like Bart Bashir. I love Bart Bashir. He's and the I would love to, to read more about him, but... But there's magic there between Christy and Alan. There's right. magic. And there has been since the beginning. Yeah. And that, like, that repartee there is just a taste of it. Um, Tanner, is there anything else you would like to talk to me about? Before I want to bring we... up one last thing. Okay. And I'm curious. I don't know that this has ever been been mentioned in a Babysitter's Club book before. Yeah. I'm going to read you a passage. This is in the beginning chapter. You see, when I was a baby, my mom died. My grandparents agreed to take me for a while because dad was so upset. And they didn't want to give me back when dad said he was ready. They finally did, but Dad became convinced he had to be a perfect parent to make up for Mom. To him, that meant being super strict. Did we know that the grandparents withheld Marianne in this brutal custody battle? Here's what I can tell you, Tanner. We have never discussed this fact on this particular podcast. Uh, Baby Nation, to part the kimono even wider, and I'm very sorry to do this, um, out of the two of us, Tanner tends to skip what we call the chapter two, right? which is the segment in these novels where... Often, uh, often skip it. Who, whoever the babysitters are kind of tell the the story that we know so well about how the babysitters club was formed and who the members are in it. I always read it closely. Right. Uh, we've never talked about this, but I can tell you as a man who has read every fucking chapter two closely because I do my homework, uh, that this particular part of Marianne's narrative 
entered into the chapter twos for Marianne's about three Marianne books ago. It's so this new. is something they're setting up. It's new because this is like when all of a sudden, like Stacy started feeling uh, rebellious about her diabetic diet and then got right. sick. Or this is like when Mimi started having health troubles. Yeah. So we're there's something on the horizon for us. There's something on the horizon. It's not an accident that this has recently been introduced into the narrative. Um, I didn't know this. When I first found out about it, I was very interested to learn more. Mr. Spear had Marianne taken away from him. Right. And he had to really fight to get her back. Mr. Spear is somebody who we have liked and identified with and sympathized with one of us over has. time um but he's also he's a character with a past right he's like the punisher and he's a lot god i was gonna just gonna say that he's a uh, baby nation you may not be familiar with this um character from dc comics called the marvel punisher. you fucking casual Jack, he's from Marvel. He's an anti-hero, and his wife and baby were slaughtered on the streets of Hell's Kitchen, New York, and he decided to dedicate his life to <laughs> vengeance. Whether you like him or not depends on whether you DC. Um, think that vigilante justice is the answer. I often don't. But so that's also, I think, true here of Mr. Spear. I think we should keep an eye on it because it's obviously going to be... Something like if if the past setups like this are any indication, this yeah. is going to become an issue. Yeah, it's going to become an issue. Um, and while we're talking about Mr. Spear and his relationship uh, with Marianne's new mom, Sharon, right? They do weird sex. They got into it this yeah. week. Uh, it's just one little line, and we don't need to dwell on it. But Baby Nation, you know what I'm talking about. Here it is. Sharon found her long-lost sunglasses in an oatmeal canister. Right. I have to assume role-playing. Yeah, I, it's definitely role-playing. Yeah, right. yeah, she was being like Magnum P.I. or something. Or she's like a celebrity who's like trying to like mask her identity. <laughs> Let's, we can back, we can like retro, like okay. we can figure this out. Do you want to pop into a role-play real quick? Oh, boy. Our own role-play? Oh, okay, but let's try to keep it. I'll be Richard. <laughs> okay, you'll be Richard. And but I'm in, I'm Sharon as Magnum PI. Uh, well, uh, hello. I've I don't think I've ever seen you around this kitchen before. Uh, n- uh no, I'm a detective from uh from Hawaii. Oh, okay. Um, I <laughs> would love to do. Listen, sir. Yep. I ask the questions around here. Okay, uh, Richard Spear. Yep. Uh, what's in the oatmeal? Are you you got hiding something in the oatmeal? Uh, Mr. Richard Spear goes over and he grabs the oatmeal container and puts it in his lap. <laughs> and he's like, why don't you uh, reach in and find out? And the thing is, he has strategically placed a hole in the bottom of the oatmeal container. Uh, unfortunately, Mr. Spear, <laughs> my hands are tied behind my back. But like <laughs> any great Hawaiian detective, I, I a, can't take my sunglasses off. And B, I'm still going to go through with this. Jack, this feels a little bit too close to breaking the third rule of our <laughs> friendship. <laughs> yeah, let's get let's get out of this fucking roleplay right now. Also, let's get the fuck out of here. Okay. <laughs> that was standard. That was the most dangerous roleplay we've ever done. <laughs> you got a little too far. <laughs> uh, 
Baby Nation, Magnum P.I. is a TV show from uh, before you were born. Yeah, no one knows. No one cares. <laughs> <laughs> um, Baby Nation, uh, thank you all so much uh, for taking the time to write us wonderful reviews uh, on iTunes. Yes. Uh, it, it is greatly appreciated, um, except for that one person who gave us a one-star review and called us both hipsters. Tanner, don't read it. It made me really upset. Recently? Yeah. <sighs> I don't get why. I don't. How are we hipsters? We're both uh, media professionals living in Brooklyn and Austin. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Come on. <laughs> we have a boutique podcast. Boutique podcast. <laughs> right? I don't get it. Ugh. God. Come on. Uh, but everybody else, everybody apart from that one person. Uh, Jack, thank you so and much. Also, Jack and I are not cool enough to be hipsters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a compliment. Yeah. I know you're trying to like hurt our feelings, but like, yeah, it's very yeah, nice yeah. of you to say that we could be hipsters. We're not. Yeah, you didn't hurt old Uncle Jacko's feelings. Yeah, um, though I do carry it with me. Uh, but thank you so much for writing lovely reviews for us on iTunes. I genuinely appreciate them. And if you haven't done so, please take a moment to do so. It uh, means a world of difference for us and for getting our podcast noticed. Um, Baby Nation, this week. We read a book that was called Marianne Breaks the Rules, and I think, ladies and gentlemen, sorry, babies and gentlemen of the jury, I ask you to acquit Marianne and Logan this Case week. Case closed. You've heard our arguments. I'm Tanner Greenring. And now it is up to you. Did Marianne break the rules? That is in your hands. But whether or not Marianne broke some so-called rules... If you want to serve justice here tonight, you will acquit her on all charges. Next week, Baby Nation, we're going to be reading a book called Mallory Pike, number one fan. Huh. Hmm. It's been a while since we had a Mal book. Yep. This week, Baby Nation, I have been Jack Shepard. Judge, uh, may I approach the bench? Please approach the bench. And I'm Tanner Greenring. Uh, do you have anything else to say, sir, before you rest uh, yes, your case? Yes, ladies and gentlemen of the, the jury, um, I'd like to make a closing statement. I've been Tanner Greenring. Yeah. Um, and anything, uh, sir, before you, before you go back, um, that you'd like to say about when specifically you have been Tanner Certainly. I don't, I don't want, I want to create an airtight case here, um, Claudia's wearing a bra now, and the way nope. she talks, you would think that boys had just been invented. This week. Is it possible that each of the copywriters can be mapped to the trickster god Loki's children? I certainly assume so. Maybe Ellen Miles is your commander? That was a HeadGum Podcast. <laughs>